We've been taking the challenge out of each of the uh, chapters or each of the churches in the, in the book of the Revelation. Of course, the Revelation is a book. There's a blessing for those who read it uh, and the, take the Scripture. By the way, don't be afraid of the Revelation. Don't be afraid of the Scriptures in any way, and especially that last book. If you're a child of God, you can be excited. All the bad stuff from chapters 4 to 19, you're not going to be there when it happens. Uh, that's kind of a, that, you can read something when it's not going to happen to you, right? And uh, you can understand a little bit, but it is certainly three parts of the book of Revelation, things that were. He said, John, you're on the Isle of Patmos. You've been tortured, boiled in oil, and left uh, in exile. I got a word for you. On the Lord's day, God appeared to him and said, write down what I tell you. He said, I want you to write, first of all, the things that were. And that focuses on the person of Jesus Christ, who John personally had handled him, he had touched Jesus, he had heard Jesus, he had seen him and been with him. He said, tell us about him. That's chapter 1. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Lamb of God and on and on as we see there. Chapters 2, he says, write about the things that are. And that's where I feel like uh, is talking about the church age. These seven churches are mentioned here. He'll begin with the church at Ephesus, the loveless church. Then he'll go to the church of, of Smyrna, the lowly church. And then the church of Pergamos, the loosey-goosey church. And then the church at Thyatira would talk about tonight, the lawless church, and influenced by false teachers. And then we find the church of Sardis, the lifeless church. You have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. And then the church at uh, Philadelphia, a loyal church. Two of the churches did not receive a, a rebuke, and that was Smyrna and Philadelphia, other, all seven other ones received commendation but, and some encouragement, but the, those two did not receive. And then the last church is the church of Laodicea. Those are the things that are. And um, I would choose to practically use the lessons we learn in each of those and consider uh, churches are like this. And by the way, there are individuals like each of these churches. Uh, I don't want to be a loveless church. But there are people in this room and that serve the Lord in First Baptist Church, there's just no love in the shine. You do what you do because it's duty, because you know you're supposed to. But love is not our motivation. And boy, that needs to change. I don't want to be like the church at Ephesus. I like to be like the church at Ephesus in many things, but I don't want for the Lord to say, John, you used to love me, but you've left your first love. I, I certainly want, would not want, I want to, I want to make I, my love relationship right. I don't want to be a loosey-goosey Christian. I don't want to be a lawless Christian. I don't want to be driven away from truth and get into false doctrine. I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous about that for me at 56 years old. I'm nervous about that for anybody else. And it's not, I, I don't know what it happens, but every once in a while, some of the best of us get, get cattywampus with truth and get off the, get off the rails and start listening, and, and it starts with heeding, listening to seductive spirits. You can have Christianity on your terms. You don't have to fit in somebody else's box. Boy, listening to seductive spirits. Then it'll go with doctrines of devils, teaching that is laced with falsehood. It has mostly truth, but it has some falsehood. Then lies and hypocrisy. All of a sudden, everybody who goes that direction, they got it all going on, and everyone else will just have to catch up. And there, all of a sudden, they've got, they're just better than everybody else, and they're more free. And, and then, lastly, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. That's where the devil wants every child of God to be, to be so numb that you can't receive truth. 
But no longer does preaching move you. No longer are you convicted about anything. Sometimes I'm amazed at people, I know they're saved. I know they're going to heaven. I'll enjoy heaven with them. But, and we used to walk together. And now they have such a skewed view of God and Christianity and holy living. The things they do now, and they just say, well, I don't have any conviction about that. I can do that. I've got grace. Something's wrong there. And I think what happens, their conscience is seared, and they don't, have the, they don't, they don't feel the conviction. Like if you, if, you, if you hurt your hand or burned your hand real bad, there will be, there'll be lacks, lack of nerves picking up on sensitivity. I think oftentimes when people get their conscience seared, by the way, your conscience is yours to keep and mine is mine. You, you, I can't keep your conscience. My, my stepfather used to say about my mother, he'd say, John, you pray for me. Your mother's conscience is bothering me. And uh, I said, what in the world did that mean? You know, But the truth of the matter is, his conscience was his to keep and mine is mine to keep. And we have to make sure we're sensitive. Now, one of the things you hear about the Apostle Paul saying often, that I have lived in pure conscience before God and man. Well, that'd be a great thing to end life with and say, oh, my, my conscience was sensitive uh, all the way through. I made sure that I was sensitive. I didn't have anything against a man, didn't have anything against God. If God spoke to me about something, I dealt with it. If I had an offense with another brother and sister, as best I knew how, I dealt with it. It's so important that we do that. Nothing skews our view of God quite like interpersonal problems that we do not resolve. I think many people, and not everybody, but I think many people... Uh, they get into bipolar activity in their own emotions because they do not resolve and deal with, uh, have unresolved conflict. They're not willing to forgive. And they just mow over and over. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's for everybody. Some of it may be genetic. Some of you, there are sins that need to be broken in the, in the family. But a lot of folks, they have problems emotionally because they do not deal with unresolved conflict. They're not willing to forgive. They made all the excuses why it's okay for them to continue to hold a grudge rather than trust God with the outcome. And I think it's serious when we do that. But as we look at this, we see that he says, I want to talk to you about the churches that are. And then the things that shall be hereafter. Chapter 4, verse number 1 and 2, till the end of the book are all futuristic. Everything else in there, none of that's happened yet. It's going to happen. He tells a little bit about the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time where God's people are caught up with the Lord. Jesus has come, three, he's going to come three times. He's come, first of all, to his own. The second time he comes, he's coming for his own. He won't stay on the earth, but he will meet, we'll meet the Lord in the air and social. And then the third time he coming, he's coming with his own, and that's where he will enjoy a thousand-year Sabbath rest with his people, and I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, don't get caught up in the nasty 70 and, and uh, the four, three score and seven, or 10 years you got now, 70 years now, at the expense of what you can enjoy for all eternity. God wants us to, to enjoy delayed gratification and to do what we're supposed to do, waiting for what God will give to us later. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. None of us live in heaven yet. But we are laying up treasures in heaven while we serve the Lord faithfully here in our, in our works, in our motives, our giving, our love, our faith. All those things are eternal things that lay up treasures 
in eternal things. And I want to encourage you to do that. But if we look at these, this, these churches, we've studied a little bit about the church at Ephesus. It had a great commendation. It had one blaring problem as they were a loveless church. They had left their first love. And he says, I want you to repent and return back to a place of love. The church at Smyrna, we learned several lessons from them. There was nothing negative said about them to them, but they were going through a very difficult time. They were a persecuted church, and the Lord certainly uh, gives them admonitions that your, t- your trials are not going to be long. God knows where you are, and he knows what you're going through. And some of us, we go through seasons where it's very difficult. We had uh, someone uh, today get in trouble for witnessing to others, and the police contacted them and, and said, you can't do that, and things of that nature. We're going to talk to a little bit, see what the rights are tomorrow. But it was, it was an unjust accusation. The person said, oh, they were coming at me hard. They were, they were, and actually, the other person came at them hard. It was, it was the opposite of what happened. And it was a false accusation that resulted in some challenges. But here the church at Smyrna said, look, it's okay. I know where you live. I know what you're going through. Be faithful. It'll last about 10 days, and then we're going to fix that. And it's going to come out, and God knows, and he's going to come. He's going to take care of you. And then the church at Pergamos, we studied about that last night, and that was infiltration. And basically, a church that allowed infiltration of the world into holiness of the church it ought to be through the Nicolaitans also, and, uh, and then also through other, other means. And two things happen when a church compromises. It's neutralized to make an impact in the society that it lives today. This, this world does not need another cheap imitation of itself. Okay? It doesn't need another rock band to attract unsaved people. This, that's, not what this, that's not what this world needs. They need someone who's a genuine Christian. Someone who's got sincere, spirit-filled attributes. This, this world doesn't need someone that's just like them. It don't need you to belly up to the bar to reach the drunk. It doesn't need you to drink so you can reach a drunk. It doesn't need you to, to go into a deviant lifestyle to reach the deviant. No, no, you need someone very different than that. And whenever we're compromised as a church or a Christian, we neutralize ourselves. And here's what I find. People who oftentimes go off into false doctrine and do not uh, follow the dictates of God's word, the way the Bible has taught us to do so, uh, they, might, they might feel very good about themselves. Nothing convicts them, but they will not. Their life does not convict anyone else either. I, I talked to my friend one time, and, and one of the things that really shook him up, he was in a car driving with his, um, with his friend. And his friend said to him, he said, You know, Troy, I wish... I knew how to get to heaven. I wish I knew how to get my sins forgiven. I wish I knew that when I died, I was going to go to heaven. And uh, my friend Troy said, well, I can tell you that. I know how to do that. He said, what? You, Troy? Are you a Christian? He knew him for years and didn't even know he was a child of God. And it shook him up so much, he, he, he as a 19-year-old young man, he went and enrolled in a, in a summer camp with the uh, under, under kids there, and God took him off to a Bible college, and he served the Lord, served the Lord very faithfully until he went home to be with the Lord by an accident. They even have a soul-winning day at, at Crown College of the Bible every year in honor of Troy Holmes because he was such a great soul winner. But it all started with his friend saying, What, Troy, you're a Christian? He said, Never, never to get such a pain in my heart 
is to realize that even a, a dear friend of mine didn't even know I was a Christian. And when, uh, uh, you know, neutralized to win people to Christ also were very destructive in the next generation. That's what happens. Tonight we're talking about Thyatira. Thyatira, of course, uh, uh, when you think about Thyatira, it's a place of the guilds and lots of tradesmen going on. This is where Lydia was from. Remember, she was a seller of purple. She was one of the first converts in the city of, of Philippi with the Apostle Paul. She's from this town. And it was a very affluent town, a place of a lot of, work, a lot of working people and unions, if you will. And let's look if we can through what the Bible says. We'll begin in verse number 18. The Bible says, Unto the angel, or the preacher, the pastor of the church at Thyatira, write. So Jesus is telling John to write these things. These things saith the Son of God. So we're introduced to Jesus. Who is he? He's the Son of God. And the Son of God meant he was God. It's, that is, in, in like image. He is, he is God. Matter, matter of fact, if you see the, the Jewish people understood, if you said you were the Son of God, you were God. And so he is God, and he introduced himself. He's the Son of God. And then notice about his attributes. Who hath his eyes like a flame of fire. So we see that he's the Son of God who observes everything. The ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. God sees all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He says, number one, he's the son of God and he sees everything. Number two, or number three, excuse me, his feet are like fine brass. In the Bible, brass means judgment. So he, can, he sees and he evaluates and brings judgment. That's who he introduces himself in. You'll see that later on in the passage. Verse number 19, Jesus says to this church of Thyatira, I know thy what? Works. And he says, I know what you do. And he goes, I know your charity. That's a great thing to have. What's another word for charity we would use today? Love. It's a loving church. And service, how you serve. And faith, what you believe. And thy patience. And, uh, and thy works. Patience is your, your effort to keep going. You don't quit. And thy works. And the last to be more than the first. He said, you guys are doing more in these areas at the end of your ministry than you were at the beginning. That you guys have grown in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, which is a great commendation. And we appreciate the, what he said about the church of Thyatira. By the way, oftentimes, uh, whenever you are correcting someone, moms, dads, it's off, you, oftentimes you're not careful. You just see only the negative. I think it's very important when you're, when you're talking to children especially, um, you, need to, you need to let them know. Here's some things. And we learned this from Jesus. He said, he could have just said, ah, forget all that stuff. Let me tell you what I'm going to talk to you about. No, he, he said, look, I, wanna, I, I know what you're going through. And I know you're good at this. And you've done great at this. You've done good at this. But then he'll tell them, I got something against you. Let's look and see what he said about this church. Verse number 20. Notwithstanding, having said that compliment that he just gave them, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, she self-proclaimed, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So he said, I, he goes, I commend you for all this stuff, but he goes, I got a problem with you. You are allowing Jezebel to speak. Now, Jezebel was not the lady's name probably in the church. It would be kind of like if I said to you, oh, you little Benedict Arnold, you would say, I'm really calling you a what? 
traitor. Okay, uh, some if I some it's a it's a name. You're little Dennis the menace. What am I calling you? You're you're a, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's what you. Yeah, but here they see God uses Jezebel, and of course in the Old Testament, Jezebel and Ahab did more to provoke God to anger than any other king and queen tandem and ever ever lived. But one of the things she did is introduce Baal and fornication and, and, and idolatry into the people of God. And of course there was a big showdown in uh, Mount Carmel with, uh, with Elijah in, uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. You can read about that. But this girl, he said, you're allowing Jezebel to indoctrinate. She's a self-proclaimed prophetess. She calleth herself a prophetess. So we know that, first of all, she was self-proclaimed. Number two, she was very influential. She had been successful at getting the servants of God to drink the Kool-Aid, to buy in to the bad doctrine that would lead them to to inter, interwoven, interwoven. He says commit fornication. I can't help it. That does mean also immoral, immoral activity, but also blending uh, that which is holy with that which is not. Fornication. And he said, you, 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 you're, you're tolerating this girl, to, the teacher. Now, we live in a day, and, and the Bible is very clear, I believe. Now, I think the Bible tells us the older women ought to teach the younger women. I'm going to meet someone tonight and talk to him about helping uh, me with a situation that I believe they're going to do a great job. And I've seen this happen many times over my few years of being a pastor. Older, precious ladies uh, lovingly nurturing the younger ladies. That's what needs to happen. Okay? However, uh, the Bible says that a lady in the church is not to be taking or usurping authority or teaching or preaching. Uh, The Bible says a pastor needs to be the husband of one wife. So it, it clearly tells us that it should be a man. Now, and sometimes every once in a while when you say this, well, you're like, what about Joyce Meyer? You know, what about Paula? What about Ricky? What about these different people that are, are and I'm not saying that, that they're, they're not people that are gifted to teach, but we've have, we have a ladies' conference in October uh, 6th and 7th, and I'm so glad as look at the lineup and prayed over the people recently who are speaking. I'm very grateful for that. They are in, in an audience with ladies, and they're teaching and instructing and helping, and boy, God uses them in a wonderful way. But here, there was a lady, self-proclaimed, very influential, but very destructive, and led God's people. He said, they're leading my servants into uh, questionable and immoral sinful activities. And you're putting up with it. You're not willing to say, no, listen. Now, the, the scripture says that. Let me just do this real quickly, not for a, I don't want to take a long time on it because there's more of the, of the chapter, but let's just see a couple places where the Bible's very clear about this. Would you look, if you would, please, at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you can note this. Sometimes people want to be pragmatics. Well, you know, that, that lady's more spiritual than any man in our church, so we were glad to listen to her. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We have to see what the Scripture says. And the Bible tells us in verse chapter 2, if you look in, it talks about a lady, uh, about prayer in particular. It's in the context of prayer, but it says that uh, verse number 10 that she should be uh, becometh a woman professing godliness with good works. She should be a servant and a worker. 
But let the woman learn in silence with all subjection or coming underneath the authority. And I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And that is, that is, the, that is the work in the, in the house of God. We also find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Just look at it with me. And once again, this does not demean precious ladies in our assembly or in our homes. Some of the most godly people in our church are ladies. And I think that they have a difficult role sometimes that have to have the Holy Spirit of God's help. I, I would not want to be a part of a church that didn't have godly ladies in, in, its, in its attendance. They're, they're unbelievable in their spirit and the things. I was listening to ladies pray tonight in the prayer time and, and just listening to them talk to the Heavenly Father. It was so beautiful. It's unique and special, and I'm grateful for that. However, the Bible is very clear about these things. Look at verse number 34, if you would please. He said, let your women... Uh, keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, for they are commanded to be under obedience, and also saith the law. And it said, they, if they, have, they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. He said, this is, if you got a question, you got something, you work through your husband. These are the things that God tells us. Now, you say, Pastor, that's just cultural. I just think that doesn't, that doesn't pertain to us in the 21st century. Take it up with God, Spanky, okay? Because I, just, I think it's as clear. And in context, of course, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is giving the rules for prophecy and for tongues and for knowledge in the church while they wait for the Bible to be open. He says, look, if you're going to speak in tongues, you're going to give a prophecy no more than three people can do it in one church service. Number, number two rule is they have to do it in order and not at the same time. So there should not be two people speaking in tongues or giving a prophecy at the same time. That was the rule number three. Number two, the third rule is if someone had a, a message to give God's people in an unknown tongue, and this is prior to the scriptures, I believe, then... They were not to give that if there wasn't someone in the church who could interpret that language. If there's no interpreter, then God doesn't want your message to be told at that time. So, number one, there needs to be no more than three people in a given service. This is prior to the Word of God coming. Number two, there would be in order, one, two, three. And then, if there was not a translator, there was not to be given in that service Rule number four, ladies were not supposed to do it in the church. doesn't mean ladies could not have the gift of tongues or could not prophesy. We find that even Philip's four daughters were known as ladies who prophesied, but not in the church, not in the assembly. And that's where the Bible is very clear. Well, this church was tolerating this particular lady who uh, self-proclaimed, influential, and damaging the, the servants of Christ. Let's look at the next thing that the Bible says in verse number 21. Here's what Jesus said. He says, and I gave her space to do what? Repent of her fornication, and she repented not. You know, whenever God asks us to repent, it's interesting. He gave her two things. He gave her the truth, and he gave her time. You know, sometimes uh, whenever God asks us to repent about something, you know what he's doing? He's giving you a chance He's giving you some time to deal with it. It's the God's grace. Did God love this lady? He did. He loved her so much, he told her the truth and gave her time 
to reconsider and change. That's what repentance means, to change uh, of, of mind and a change of direction. He said, I, I, I gave her, I gave her the truth and told her she wasn't supposed to be doing that. Number two, I gave her time to repent and she didn't repent. Well, when, whenever God gives us time to repent and we don't repent, here's what happens. Look at the next verse, verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. And that is, and most people believe that means uh, an illness or that will be, uh, that will be something that will be illness or, or sickness. And them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So if they, if they want to keep going on this pathway and they don't repent, they can look forward to great judgment and tribulation and illness and so forth and so on. Verse number 23, and I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one according, given to you according to your works. Once again, Jesus introduced himself as the Son of God, the one who searches, who sees everything, and the one who has feet were made with breath, who will come down with judgment. And he says, look, I'm going to give you time to repent. If you want to associate with this false teaching, it's going to be, I'll give you time to repent. If you don't want to repent, you can look forward to tribulation and problems from me. And he begins to tell them about that. He says, because I, I, I know what's going on in the heart, and I will give everyone according to his works. Verse 24, we've got to hasten. But unto you I say, unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have what? Not this doctrine. So even with uh, this particular, this lady is, is conducting, and they didn't deal with her, there were people in that church who did not go along with it. They did not, they weren't, they weren't uh, sucked in uh, by this wrong teaching. He said, but he said, I'm saying the rest of you who are not caught up in this thing and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. I think it's a beautiful thing. There's a couple of things as Jesus ends his admonition. He said, now I've said that. I said all these good things about you. I've told you what I don't like. You're tolerating a woman speaker who's self-proclaimed, who's very influential, who is moving people with a false doctrine. And he said, I, I, I'm going to tell you that I'll give you a chance to repent or I'm going to bring judgment. He said, but there are some of you, you have not got into that situation. And because you haven't gotten into that, that's very good. Here's a couple things that he tells them. Number one, he said that you haven't missed out on anything. <laughs> you haven't got into the depths of Satan. By the way, satanic, Doctrines of devils is how God, uh, one of the ways that God uh, gives as a name for false doctrine. Doctrines of who? Devils. He said, you haven't missed out on anything, what, what they've been telling you. And by the way, we've got some things going on today in our world, and it's always gone on. People who have new truth, and they're, they're getting out there, and they're having these little gatherings, and they're trying to get people to come. And, and, and you know what, just to leave your moorings of all that happened, and follow us. We're going to give you a new thing. It, it happens all in every generation. It's happening today. It, the, the rules haven't changed. Just Satan's been doing it for 6,000 years, so he's gotten better at it. But he uses these, these, uh, these, and I don't know, in every false doctrine, there are two things. There are victims and there are villains. There are people who know exactly what they're doing, and they're there to either garner following, get finances, uh, or 
There are just vic- victims. They're just, they're just simple ones that oftentimes a, a spur of offense or something that hurt their feelings, and now or they start listening to things and, and watching things, and now they just get off into the weeds. He said, some of you guys, you're not there. You haven't missed anything. He said, you're good. You're okay. Notice the next thing he tells us as he ends this section there. Verse 25, but that which ye have already, hold fast. He said, you haven't missed anything? Number two, hold fast till I come. He said, hold on to biblical truth and don't get sucked into this junk. And then he says, understand I'm coming. Jesus is coming again. He said, you haven't missed anything? Hold fast and know I'm coming. Now verse 26, and he that overcometh, that's someone who is saved. You can look at, put a little, a little um, reference in your Bible. 1 John 5, 5. People who are overcomers are people who are Christians. They're saved. Have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. He that is saved keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. The rewards is power. Look at verse number 27. And he shall rule over them with a rod of iron. And the vessels of the potter shall he be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And then he says, I will give unto him the what? Morning star. He hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit say. I think the morning star, they say, is it's one of the last stars you can see in the morning. That usher in a morning. And boy, that, I, that, that reminds me, he'll give them power and he'll give them peace. Something sweet after a long night to see the sun come up and to think, you know, there's a new day. And God's given us the morning star of peace, a, a, a presence of the Lord upon our hearts and life. He said, those who overcome know that um, you haven't missed anything getting off in the weeds of bad doctrine. Well, some things people often, in order for someone to sell you something, they've got to show you uh, that, they, they, that you don't have what you, what you think you have. And if you've ever been, I don't want to be unkind to anyone, but when I was in my younger years, I got several people trying to get me to sell soap. And uh, other people were trying to get me to get in some pyramids and different things to get involved with that. But the way they would do it, they, it would be my friend, say, hey, listen, I want to come over to the house, and we're going we're gonna to spend a little time with you, and just like to show you how you can make a lot of money with just two hours a week. And, and, uh, and you know, and I was thinking, wow, that'd be great, yeah, that'd be wonderful, you know. And then they came in, and, and usually uh, some other who's a little smooth-talking fella came in, and he would ask me dumb questions like, do you have enough to retire right now if you wanted to? I'm saying I'm 26 years old. No, I don't have enough to retire. Oh, okay, okay. If your car broke down, you have enough to go buy another car? Uh-uh. You know? Yeah. Oh, oh, you don't. Okay, you know. Well, if you had a major catastrophe in your life, are you going to be able to, to, do you have enough money reserved to take? No. What? Well, I asked him about eight questions, and I just, I felt really good when he, before he came in. After he asked me eight questions, I felt like, man, I've been ripped off, man. I've got a terrible life. I was praising the Lord and singing to God be the glory before he came in. After that, I was thinking, you know, the sun's not coming up in the morning, and it's over. You know what, that guy, in order to get him to get me to listen to him and how I can make a whole lot of money in two hours of work every week and help him make a lot more money than that, what I really had to do is he had to create a dissatisfaction. You're really missing out, John. You just don't have it. You know, that's what false teachers do. They want to get you to think, oh, you've been missing out. You've been under the hard preaching. 
You've been, you've been tricked. You've been duped. You've had a terrible life. Everybody is boring over there. You need to come to their real wonderful. Oh, what, what's going on over here is unbelievable. And they create a dissatisfaction. You say, no, you haven't missed anything. He said, hold fast to what you have. Know that Jesus is coming again. And anyone who's faithful to him, he says, I have got power. I have got the rewards. And I've got peace I'll give to you. I'll give you the morning star. Uh, as you work through that. I think it's a beautiful testimony. I want to make sure I'm right with the Lord, and I hope you are too. Let's pray together, can we? Dear Lord.